0: of Better Practice, Better Life. Go to actdental.com forward slash BPA or hit the link in the show notes. Yo, 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 yo. Hey, guys, welcome back to the Best Practices Show podcast. My name is Kirk Barron. where I only have one goal, only one. It's the only thing I'm ever going to do with this podcast is just find great thinkers, great people, great speakers in dentistry, great influencers, great podcasters that can bring the best practices and share them with you so you can create a better practice and a better life. And today... I meet my new friend. I've seen this guy a lot. I've heard him. I've listened to him. And I finally got him on the podcast, Dr. David Phelps. And he has an amazing podcast. I highly encourage you to check it out called the Dentist Freedom Blueprint Podcast. And we start a conversation about how you can find your financial, your path for financial freedom in dentistry if you're a dentist. So check it out. I know you'll enjoy it. We'll see you guys soon. guys, welcome back to the best practices show podcast. I'm so pumped that you're here. And again, like as I do this, I get to meet some really cool people in dentistry, some great influencers, podcasters, authors, speakers, and my goal is is just to pass along that information to you. Actually, interview those guests and um, help you guys create a better practice and better life. And I was telling our guest today, who I've never met, this is my first time, Dr. David Phelps, that his name has come up a lot. And actually, I've heard you a several times, not only on your podcast, but I was just recently listening to Mark Costa's podcast. And I'm like, there he is again. He just keeps showing up. So David, thanks for being on. I really appreciate
1: it. Oh, Kirk, it's my pleasure. I look forward to the conversation.
0: Yeah. And so you and I both don't know where this is going to go. But I want to almost like ask you about every single book. And you have a very interesting story. But uh, let's start here. I want our listeners to know who you are. So who's Dr. David Phelps?
1: Well, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I was a clinical practitioner with my own private practice dental clinic for just over 20 years, uh, ended that some 18 years ago. We can talk about that, why that ended some time ago. Uh, I also have always had a real entrepreneurial bent uh, within me. And, you know, that goes back to childhood when I wanted to make some extra money because I wanted to have my independence, which kind of goes along with what I do today, which is Freedom Founders. I didn't really realize then that that's what it might take me. But I was always about, you know, having Having my own things, I had two sisters uh, in my in my household, and uh, they had their room, and I had my room. But you know, I, I wanted my own TV, and I wanted a better bike, and I wanted a better tennis racket and better tennis shoes. Fortunately, our, our, our parents uh, were very, very good. They didn't just give us anything we wanted, so that was yeah. that was great. If we wanted something better than you know the run rate, the average, we had to work to to get it, and that always stayed within me. And so when I was in my first year in dental school, dental, uh, yeah, dental school, not practice i i just got interested in real estate i I read books i read books about real estate and investing on the stock market because i wanted to learn how to be a good investor even though back then i didn't have any money i was you know had student loan debts like most people but i still wanted to figure out you know how could i learn to be a good investor i might as well start now get a head start and kind of figure this thing out and so i i I bought my first rental property back in 1980 uh kind of dates me doesn't it kirk yeah Uh, yeah it's awesome my first year in dental school yeah but bought that property and so i i ran my clinical practice and my real estate, you know, in tandem, but there was never a connection between the two. Totally separate. I, you know, I didn't have you know, tenants coming in and paying rent in my in my to my practice. I would not do that. I kept everything separate and, and ran them tandem for a number of years until I made a, a, a harsh decision or a hard decision in 2004 that I was going to sell my practice. And that goes down another rabbit hole. So I'll stop there and you know let you kind of catch up and see where you want to go.
0: Yeah, let's let, no. I, I think it's important people hear that story, and um, you know, I've heard a little bit of that story. You actually remember the day you were the patient you were working on, and even yeah. your dental assistant. You got an important call one day. Can you take us through that call? Like,
1: yeah, you know? yeah, yes, yes. It was it was August twenty uh, fifth, two thousand four, and yeah, everybody has that time in their life when you remember where you were. You know, significant events, I guess. We you know we just had uh, the passing of the anniversary of 9-11. Well, everybody who was alive, you know, and of, of age, you know, for September 11, 2001, we all know where we were, right? Well, right. same thing here, and, you, and same thing with other events. So this was a a really causative event because this was a call that I got from Texas Children's Hospital in Houston, Texas. Now, I'm I'm up outside of Dallas, so Houston's about four hours away by car or, you know, plane flight. This call came from uh, the transplant nurse, and she said, uh, so my, my assistant, um, front desk, Receptionist comes back to the back. I'm working on a patient. Taps me on the shoulder. Hey, Dr. Phelps, there's a call for you. And there was a patient there, so she's not going to elaborate. And probably like most of our listeners, when you're working on a patient, you don't want to be annoyed or bothered by anything. It's you know, there's got to be a fire somewhere before because you know you want to focus. So it's better be important, but. I didn't, I didn't connect the dots right away, but when she said that, I, I knew she was, she was very discerning in, in what she would bother me about. Went to my office, took the call, and, and yes, uh, this transplant nurse says, Dr. Phelps, I've got good news for you. We have a liver for Jenna. Well, Jenna is my daughter, and at the time she was 12 years old, she had been diagnosed with end-stage liver failure just two months prior in June of 2004. Mm-hmm. Subsequent to her going through a lot of chemotherapy for leukemia when she was young, she also had some pretty breakthrough epileptic seizures from about age eight to 12. They tried all kinds of anti-seizure medications and really the combination of all the chemo, the anti-seizure medications, it was just too much for her liver. And so here she is, a you know, a kid at 12 and her liver won't process. So she's actually bleeding from her stomach, you know, the, the backup, uh, in the, uh, esophageal plexus of the venous plexus is just backing up into her stomach and she's vomiting blood. And, and of course we had no idea what was going on there. this is just, this is kind of how her life was from age two and a half. You know, now we're at age 12 and just going through crisis after crisis after crisis. And like, what is it this time? And so she gets care flighted to, uh, to the medical center in Dallas. And, you know, three days later, they've got a diagnosis. She's got end stage liver failure. She's going to have to you know to survive. She's going to need a transplant. And so Two months later, I'm in my office getting the call. Well, they've got a liver, so that's good news, right? That's that is good news. But also, I can just feel my my heart, you know, beating in my throat because it's good news. But this is serious business here, and right. she needs a transplant. But also, I'm still like I'm scared. I'm really scared. It's you know, it's your, it's your child, right. and so I'm out the door and I'm you know, off to the airport to fly to, to Houston, and I get there pretty much just in time before they're ready to roll her in for surgery. And just see her one more time before she goes in, uh, and just you know praying that uh, the the doctors and, and, and will you know use their their abilities and this will go well. And about six hours later, they came out and said, you know, it, you know, quote, successful transplant. It's it's going to be you know a relatively long recovery, but good news is you know we got it done and and you know should be good. And it, it is a, it is a lengthy time before you know things are back to any kind of stability. Uh, it was really months. So I had to get an apartment for she and her mom down in Houston. I was back and forth to my practice. I'd come down for about four or five days and I'd go back to the practice. And it was back and forth for, for quite some time. And, you know, I learned a lot, learned a lot of things about my practice uh, during that time, which we can maybe shoot into because I know you like to talk about best practices here. Yeah. But the, the wake up call for me, Kirk, was, was really when she was after, after the transplant and when I was there at the hospital and, and I'm just sitting in that hospital room you know, on those, uh, you know, like a little, uh, you know, what are they, kind of plastic seat cushion, you know, in the, you know, I'm just, and she's there in her bed with, uh, you know, all the tubes, all the monitors, just breathing asleep. And I I looked behind her head on the, on kind of the, the, the board or the shelf above her head and I counted there was 31 bottles of medication that she had to take at that point in time. Now, it's been reduced since then. But you know, coming out of the gate with a, a transplant, um, there's so much they're trying to trying to to navigate with this major change, and then she has to be immunosuppressed for the rest of her life. That's part of it. But it was it was almost so overwhelming. And as I'm watching her breathe, Kirk, I just really I guess for the first time. You know, I take it so much for granted in my life. I took so much for granted that everything, you know, that that nothing bad was going to happen, and if I just did the right thing in life and worked hard and had a good practice, you know, life would be good. And and here, these curveballs kept coming, and I just kind of kept, kind of batting them off. And this time, I'm thinking, you know, I better not bat this one off. Meaning, I better, I better decide really what's the most important in my life. And you know, maybe this is a wake up call. Yeah. And so, right there in the hospital, in my mind, I'm thinking, all right. I, I'm going to sell the practice. But of course, we're, we're logical, we're rational and emotional, but I'm probably more logical, rational. And so thinking, okay, I think, okay, I need to do this. I had to go through some back of the napkin calculations, because again, I have to be financially responsible. You don't just walk away and go, well, you know, I'll spend my time with my daughter. But so if I sell the practice and I'm not actively working, you know, what do I have, you know, in reserve that could cover the bases, you know, for at least a year, 18 months, you know, before I would really have to go back and, you know, do I go back and build another practice? Do I, you know, associate with somebody for a while? You know, what, what are my needs? And that's really what I did. And I, I took the real estate that I had acquired and built up over a number of years, which I'd really never put a pen and pencil to it, but realized that, you know, while I was not magnanimously wealthy by any means, there was enough there to give me the margin of time I needed to spend with my daughter. And that was the most important. So I, I made that yeah. decision, sold the practice and and then things went on from there.
0: Yeah. So obviously, this experience changed you, as it would anybody, and you had a new sense of clarity. You sold the practice, and then how did you go down this path? Like, what was the first? What were some of the first steps that you took as you charted a new career or a new way to just help people? Well,
1: well I, I didn't. I didn't push for anything to happen. Uh, right. Of course, my 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 first priority was just to be free, so I could spend time with Jenna my daughter, whether she was you know, in the hospital or she was well, uh, and she had, you know, she went back and forth, you know, there's times she had to go back to the hospital and complications, but then she'd be released and she'd go back and, you know, in her school, she was playing on the volleyball team and, and she was, uh, you know, a, a cheerleader. It's a little a private school, but you know, this, this, this these are the important moments. And I thought I, I've got to be there for that stuff. I can't just be the weekend dad. And, and, oh, by the way, I didn't mention that, uh, while Jenna survived all this, um, my marriage to her mother didn't. So, so we're separated by about a hundred miles um, mm-hmm. during all of this. So, so, so usually it's on the weekends and I thought, you know, I don't want to live like that anymore. I want to be more present for her. And so, so I didn't really have a, a next or what am I going to do right out of the gate, Kirk? I just, things just had to organically happen. It wasn't probably, that was 2004, 2005 in there. Um, you know, really I was, I was still kind of climbing back from, from the d- divorce, um, you know, financially and just, you know, paying off bills and just focusing on my daughter. It wasn't for a few years later. I, I didn't go back to to practice because I found that I did have enough quote, you know, I call it quote, passive income. There's there's still some management of that, but I had enough to give me that time. And I really kind of enjoyed that that free time, that time where I just didn't have kind of the handcuffs of any obligations or responsibility that we all have in practice and and, and no regrets, no regrets. I mean, that's right. Practice was 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 a huge blessing for me to to have that all those years, but I realized that maybe there was there was something else I was called to do. I didn't know exactly what it was, but I I'd, I'd always been involved in real estate and kind of figured out that piece how to build asset based income, and I got pretty good at it. And so if, within a few years, I had some of you know, my friends, colleagues in both dentistry and medicine, who knew that I had exited practice at least at least for the time they didn't know if I, I didn't know if i was gonna go back or not and they asked me well david we understand why you why you left because your daughter but could you kind of tell us you know financially how did you make this happen because you were you know you're only in your 40s and that's pretty early on in life to you know did you hit the lottery or something i said no 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 not not anything close to that it was just i just had a plan that i just built on and compounded over time and so that so this is again just a handful kirk but uh, as well david can you can you show, show me, show me how you did it? I said, Yeah, I can, I could show you what I did, but I started back in my 20s. You know, I'm talking to, to colleagues that are in their 40s and 50s. So you're not gonna want to do it the way I did it. Back then I had more time than money. And so it made sense for me to be kind of boots on the ground and doing, you know, all these things. I said, right now where you are wouldn't make sense. Why don't you just piggyback on some of the the, the transactions and the assets that I have, you can piggyback, you can be a private capital lender. And I did that for four or five and that was all I needed. And then, but they had friends, right? And it's like, well, David, could you help me And that? I had to make a decision. How do I help more people without getting into a business I don't want to get into? Right. right. Uh, Cause I did. I didn't want to get back into something that's going to suck away my time. I kind of was enjoying the freedom, but I still was able to do real estate on my terms. And so I, I realized that I don't have to do everything that I know people just like we all know people you know in the dental industry i mean that's what you're doing here with the podcast you're creating a network of resources you know that's what you do well i had the same thing also in real estate i had people that i knew over the years i've been doing it at that point for real estate for over 20 years i knew people geographically around the country that were very good at what they did i thought well why don't i just bring a few of them to a meeting in dallas with some of the docs who were wanting to help and i said i can connect the dots Right. I could just connect the dots. I don't need to go out and, and, and reinvent the wheel and say, well, I'll go buy a bunch of houses or multifamily apartments. I don't really want to do that. I'd, I'd rather connect the dots and show both sides how private capital can enter into structures with real estate uh, opportunities and make good transactions. You know, I talked about due diligence and, you know, just kind of connecting, connecting it. And that's what grew over time. We started this back in about 2010, 2011. And and today Freedom Founders we're, we're like over 100 members strong and we've got you know just a highly curated group of real estate sponsors that we you know we do background checks on and just really really create a, a sense of community where people can, can see their way through to you know what what their freedom looks like and when that might might transpire. So that's how all that laid out and again there was no plan on the front end. I had no vision for that. it just kind of happened organically.
0: Yeah, I love it. And then if you guys want to check it out, it's the Dentist Freedom. You also have the the, uh, Blueprint podcast, the Dentist Freedom Blueprint podcast, which is fantastic. Your guests are actually quite excellent, very knowledgeable. Uh, And then give me the whole sense of what's the whole philosophy, the why behind it? And what do most dentists get wrong? And I have so many questions. Is it mostly dentists that are part of your community or is it a little bit more than that? You know, tell us your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, well, Kirk, it is mostly dentists. Uh, not that what we do wouldn't fit for a whole variety of of different uh, niches in in business or other professional practices. It's just that I am a dentist, and I just I just talk dental talk like we're doing here today, right? right. Uh, so, and I I don't I don't have a need to have to go wide. I'm, I'm not trying to build Freedom Founders into some massive, you know. A thousand plus members. That's it's. It'd be too big. I like to keep it small, more boutique and curated. So, so it's probably about ninety five percent dentists, and we have some affiliated uh, some veterinarians, um, uh, physicians, uh, cardiologists. Um, so, so it's it's pretty much um, allied health uh, overall. And really, the overall theme or philosophy is is what you know what I learned in life is is in order to really have f- financial freedom, you really have to focus. The real focus has to be on on cash flow, and mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm I'm not I'm not saying you know it, investing in 401ks in the stock market and index funds and mutual funds. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing for people to do, but I just found in my experience and now with with hundreds of members of Freedom Founders that the curation of of real estate alternative investments and particularly the inefficiency the inefficiency of that market allows for a lot more ability to navigate like what we're doing right now in the markets where where we have a lot of downside risk protection so my my philosophy overall is to really gain financial freedom which is what we're all after at some point not right. necessarily just to have to to delete practice but how about practicing on on your own terms where you could, you know ditch some of the ppo managed care contracts you've got or you know just just practice because you like to do it you need to replace a certain amount of your active income maybe not right. all of it but, but So it's asset-based income. We, we focus on the cash flow. We, there's also value-add, um, inflation hedge to real estate, but it's the cash flow. It's the cash flow. It's the cash flow. I teach people, that's where we differ from Wall Street, which is all about accumulation. You'll build up the nest egg, build up as big as you can, and then when you, quote, retire, you're going to start to deplete it, you know, three, 4% a year. And they have these algorithms. Well, over time you'll deplete it. And hopefully by the time, you know, you expire, you know, about that time is about the time your, your will expire. We look at it completely differently. We never wanted to kill the golden goose. The golden goose continues to produce. In fact, that's what gets gets to be passed on to one's heirs and beneficiaries uh, in this way. So that's the overriding philosophy.
0: Yeah. So go back to this because I love this. We have a lot of young listeners, some dental students and one of the questions always becomes like, let's define what this looks like, or just even a little bit like financial freedom. Everybody has kind of their own take on financial freedom, you know, and so you've seen a lot of people do this. What's your favorite outcomes or favorite vehicles as far as financial freedom and define it? Is is that where your active income, you know, um, kind of gets in the same neighborhood as your passive income type of a thing? How do you teach people to, to think about that?
1: Yeah, Kirk. The, the the first milestone is getting to a point where your passive or asset-based income, that cash flow, is equal or a little bit more than your lifestyle burn rate. So your burn rate's different than your your income. I, I mean, most of the time, your income's going to be up here, right. and you pay taxes, uh, and then you get down to your lifestyle. So you, and you you say you put money in savings or investments. So I just want to show people that if you can get to whatever your burn rate is. That's going to give you a lot of margin of just peace of mind. Yeah, doesn't mean doesn't mean you're ready to re, quote retire, but it means you've got peace of mind to actually even change the model under which you're currently living uh, your career path, your your practice, whatever it might be. That you can even just take some pressure off because when you know you've got something there that's kind of giving you a safety safety net, then really everything changes. Now, eventually, when people do want to totally leave active income in their in their life, then then you need to have you know a certain Income or cash flow that produces again, where that lifestyle is without any additive active income. But first step is just figure out your your freedom number, which is your your lifestyle burn rate. Yeah. And reverse engineer. Um, mm. Then we look at well, what do you need in actual capital that you could invest in the right kind of assets to produce that income. And so we're very diversified in in real estate. I, I say diversified real estate. Some people say, well, if you're in real estate, that's not very diversified. But I say, well, actually, you can diversify a whole lot in real estate. I'm not saying that that needs to be the end all for all people. It is for me, but I've been doing this for over four decades. So, I, I'm very comfortable with it. But when people first come into Freedom Founders, we we let them kind of take baby steps because, you know, most of them have had money in, in the markets in 401ks. And look, I get it. And so, we just little by little encourage them to, to test drive another model and before long, most people have moved a significant amount of their capital from the stock market Wall Street into alternatives. Not all, not all. Right. Some will do it. It's just it's whatever fits their their parameters and their goals.
0: Yeah. And, it, you know, and temperaments too. So, um, right. you know, and I'll be completely transparent. I got into the real estate market years ago and I had a mentor and he's like, okay, listen, this is for some people and it's for not. And you're gonna have to pay attention to this. And I remember like water heaters breaking and a few things. And I remember my kids were little, I had like four or five rental properties and I was like, I don't know if I have the stomach lining for this. And he's like, you just got to get beyond this. And I totally agree with it. But then, um, so my, your point is exactly correct. Everybody's got to find their right vehicle. I am a big fan of the real estate thing. Can you share, like real estate's changed a lot in the last year. It's not like it used to be, and I am not an expert on it. But like, what would you say that most people get wrong about real estate when they come to you? Like, where are they, You're like, okay. And then there's also, you said if inefficiencies, there's incredible opportunities. Opportunities that dentists are not aware of when it comes to diversifying your portfolio with real estate. Can you speak to that?
1: Sure. Well, what's really changed, Kirk, is you know we all we all have a certain amount of recency bias. You know what we what we've experienced in anything in life. So say over the last three years, five years, maybe 10 years, whatever we experience, we think we sort of have a tendency to think, well, that's going to continue that way. And I'm speaking here about the business cycle, the market cycles. We have had since the Great Recession, Great Financial Recession back in 2008 and nine. since that time, once we came out of that, we've had this, you know, a good 10-year plus, you know, bull market in, in all assets. And a lot of that was created by very, very cheap subsidized money, you know, low interest rates, which you know, there's a lot of manipulation there. And that's that's expanded really all assets, which has been great if for people in this country who have been involved in business or real estate or or even stocks for that matter. I mean everything's gone up be, but really mostly because of cheap money.
0: Mm-hmm. Now
1: we're in a period right now where that cheap money uh, is no longer cheap. <laughs> the cost of capital has just about doubled in the last six months. And I think even this week, uh, the Federal Open Market Committee is meeting, Federal Reserve is meeting to talk about the next bump in interest rates. Why? They're trying to fight this inflation that we haven't seen in 40 years. And so this is what's changing. So, wherever people are, whether it's in business or investing assets, it's a time to realize that the markets are changing a lot. And whatever people thought they knew or experienced in the last several years is changing. Doesn't mean you quit doesn't mean you put your head in the sand, right. but you have to realize that you have to be very prudent about your next moves. and And there are the, there are, there are good moves and, and not good moves. It just depends upon again where you are in your life and what what you know, the assets you have, the skill sets, and probably the greatest thing, Kirk. And again, what you're doing with the podcast is is about that. It's about relationships. Yep. Who do you know? Who do you know that you can trust for? insights about anything in life with this again it's your practice you know how you're how you're navigating your practice model today with the, the great resignation and staff shortages you know all the things we've had to deal with clinically well the same thing happens in in other aspects of of the markets and if you're if you, you know i think that when you talked about what's different for for you know like for for other 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 dentists whether they're younger or older it is it is the aspect of you know do you do you take a real active role in this Outside your late, outside your practice, should you should you try to do that? Again, it depends. You know, I when I when I said earlier, I was you know in my early 20s. I wasn't married initially. Uh, I didn't have a family. In fact, we didn't have our daughter for about nine years after we got married. I was in my mid 30s before um, my daughter was born. So I had this runway where I could do do more, multiple things and not be taken so much away from my family. Yeah. So that's that's an important consideration. So in other words, do you do this yourself? I'm not opposed to that, but again, realize your own time value. What's important if 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 your time is better expended in your practice, which for most doctors it is, uh, and with your family, then probably trying to do you know what you alluded to having a few rental properties on the side. Until you get to a certain run rate of those kind of properties, yeah, it, you, you can't really scale it. You, you know, scaling it to get over the hump where you could actually afford to pay you know a manager or be more passive in investing in, into real estate syndications or funds. Which is, which is more passive, but then again, you've got to know, who am I investing with and through? What's their track record? What do I know about them? See, that, that's a whole other level of due diligence that you don't necessarily have to do so much when you're in control, but right. now you're giving up control to buy your time back. It's a, it, there's always a trade. There's always a trade.
0: Yeah, I love this. And so I am not an investing expert. I'm not somebody that can tell anybody anything. And, and, you know, 25 years of doing this, you've seen enough seminars where everyone's got a different opinion. I remember when I first got started in this, there are a lot of people out there just saying, borrow the money right now and put it in the market. If you're 24, 25, you know, pay the interest on that loan and let it ride because they were showing you on a chart how that would be the longevity. And then, you know, there was a strong push for dollar cost averaging, which made a lot of sense as the market fluctuated and then um, real estate. But let's speak to just, you know, younger dentists. Let's say I'm a young dentist coming out. I mean, probably most sound advice there. Would you, would you think they're probably going to be practicing a little bit longer than the dentist that came out 30 years ago? I mean, that's hypothetical. We don't know. Uh, I think they're going to be living longer for sure. You know, the patients are going to be living longer. What would you say to these young dentists coming out? Where do I get started, David? Where would you start? Like even basic stuff?
1: Well, the first thing I would say is if you and your spouse can get together and really have clarity about what your goals are and then, you know, develop with, you know, a mentor or somebody who's good in finances. Maybe it's a financial planner, but establish, you know, what a game plan or blueprint looks like. And again, I'm speaking to couples here because most people uh, are are probably working together in a relationship. It's really important to have both parties together. You know, what I've realized, Kirk, and you could probably s- say the same thing is, you know, I'm different than my wife. Um, uh, you know, we married each other because we compliment, you know, I'm more, I am more of a long-term planner uh, down the road. She's more of a, you know, what's happening today? You know, right. that's fun and exciting, right? That that That's not always the case, but that's a good thing. But, you know, you have to speak to both because if I'm always talking about down the road, big time planner, down the road, you know, That's not going to make certain people in the family happy because they'd like to actually have some memories today. So, but so you have to say, well, if we're going to do a plan, you've got to have both spouses understand what's this plan look like and where does everybody get at least something of what they want. Right. So very important. Now, once you establish that, then if both parties see that they can get what they want, you know, in time, within a a relative time, not again fifty years down the road when you retire, but but as as you're going along, then it's it's not so difficult to say, well, then. If the freedom number, which is what, I, what I've what i termed in Freedom Founders, the freedom number is, you know, your lifestyle burn rate. If you can keep that down, I don't mean to live like a pauper. I don't mean to live in austerity like you did when you were, a, you know, a student. But don't go for that. Let's get the big house in the big neighborhood and let's get the big cars. And, you know, could you if you could keep things down and truly learn how to get invested in assets that will produce some kind of a dividend or rent or interest off of, off of assets and see that number start to climb and don't let your 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 lifestyle elevate faster. Let that let that asset base income come and if you can get it even close within a few years by keeping your lifestyle down to a, a decent modicum of living, that changes everything. Yeah. And it's hard to do. It is so hard to do because, you know, we go to school for all these years and we invested time and we've got student loan debt. Of course that has to be paid back. And that's a, that's a big, uh, uh, that, that has a, you know, a, a real, a real, you know, um, anchor anchor to people, but still you've got to build this stuff in because if you, if you don't, then I, I just told you, you get on a treadmill, you just yeah. get on this treadmill and it's just like, when do I get off this treadmill? It's okay when you're young. Cause you feel like I've got all the energy and I can do this, but, you and i both know you've been running hard and you start to get in your mid late 40s your 50s for sure mentally and physically you know the work that we do in dentistry it's it's exhausting it takes its toll and so if you're if you're going to want to practice for longer term and i'm not saying that people are going to have to again if you watch your finances you're not going to have to but let's say you want to you want to have longevity just like a, a a prime athlete like say particularly in in athletics uh, that are very very physical like like football right well you know, those athletes don't usually last very long because it's so physical I mean they get pummeled and beat down and if they get three or four maybe five years uh, you know then that's that's a that's a that's kind of a career well dentistry can be relatively speaking the same way I mean three or four four years is, is small but but let's say you know if you, if you go really really hard early on and really bust it for 15 20 years you, your body's maybe not be able to take it. So if you have a a little bit lighter run rate and just don't feel compelled to have to play the societal expectations of, well, you're not successful in this, your practice is doing this, or you're having a a run rate of revenue of this, or you don't have this this many ops, or you don't have multiple practices, or or you're not doing this or this. I mean, the comparison factor today, not just in our our industry, but just in society overall, I think is very, very bad. And I think people need to say, look, I'm going to live my life a lot, a lot of our young, young people are looking at it that way, right? I mean, we see it with the, the generations coming up. Not so many are, are as compelled as maybe we were about, we got to get out there and hit it and, and crank it and, and take it while we can get it. It's like, there's a, there's a whole long life here to live if you just take a little bit more of your time and don't feel like you're compelled to have to keep up with everybody else.
0: Yeah, totally agree. I love what you're saying. You know, I don't know who said it, but um, comparison is the thief of joy. I think it was Roosevelt yes. who said that, but uh, it's absolutely true. And David, I've had a lot of guests on like and nobody, I can't even think of anybody that uh, recently that was even Semi uh, an expert in real estate. And I get this question all the time. So can I dish it to you? You and I don't even talk. Dentists sure. are perplexed with all of these decisions, you know, as I build my practice and all this, and then I get this one all the time. Do I own or do I rent? Do you have any parameters or guidelines? You know, somebody in San Francisco might have a different situation than somebody in Missouri, you know, anything you would say, cause I, you know, I would love to know what your thoughts are on that. If I, on your own practice type of a thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it is very situational, uh, Kirk. No, no, question about it. Uh, geography plays a big part. There are places in the country where it definitely, I think, makes more sense to rent or to lease. Uh, realize when you buy uh, and you own that that real estate. Again, I'm very much a fan of real estate. So here's here my saying: Well, sometimes it makes sense to rent, but you tie up a certain amount of capital. You know, typically on a commercial building of any kind, the bank today is going to require you to put probably about thirty percent down. Well, if you're talking about, let's just say, a million-dollar building, which that could be the case in many places, um, that's $300,000. Well, that's $300,000 that's tied up in in real estate, which is good. But when you're in a business-building mode, having access to cash and not necessarily having to borrow everything you do to expand or add to, your biggest engine is your business, is your practice. You know, don't start putting too much money out into investments until you've really optimized your business Brave. strategy, or model. I think too many people start thinking, well, I need to go out there and, and, and get get all this money, invest in other stuff. You know, and e- even though I, I'm a big believer in real estate, I still tell people, look, stay focused on, on where you're going to get the biggest return on investment and in business. If you do it well, your return on that, those dollars invested, it's going to be at least 50%, right? 50 to hundred percent. That's your return on well-placed invested money back in your business. Now, You get to a point where that business is running well you really don't have designs or desires to expand it more you feel good about it you've got good profitability okay now start you know looking for some outside investments whatever that might be the other thing i'll say is i i'm very biased against tax deferred vehicles retirement accounts okay explain
0: Um, that this is a great one yeah, Yeah. yeah
1: yeah so you know as soon as people start making money in their business is they'll start complaining to their CPA, who tells them, "You've got to write this big check, Doctor Jones. Uh, you know, get ready. You know, next, uh, you know, coming up uh, in April, you know, you're going to owe seventy-five thousand dollars. You know, right. Doctor Jones is like barely written a seventy-five thousand dollar check over four or five years, and all of a sudden he's <laughs> profitable and he's going." He's going, oh, you know, what, what can we do about this in the CPA or the financial planners? Goes, got exactly the thing for you. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a 401k. Oh, how's that work? Well, you know, you, you, you put money into this vehicle. It's going to compound uh, and you get a tax deduction. So it's going to lower your taxes. Great. Sign me up. Sign me up. There's a, in Wall Street's a great marketer of this. I mean, it's, it's really a construct that's been oversold. I'm not against the discipline of people. Putting money in, a, in anything where they are actually doing on a regular basis, that's not the worst thing that could happen, Kirk. But what I don't like is the fact that when you put money in tax-deferred retirement accounts, that money is locked up until you're 59 and a half.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You can't take it out without paying a penalty and tax. So even though people say, well, it's compounding. Yeah, but you know what? In your hands, your ability to use that money in other opportunities can far more make up for the, say, quote, it's not even savings and taxes, tax deferral, because you will pay that tax someday. So it's right. not tax savings, you're putting it off. I also tell them that, you know, your tax rates are likely to be higher down the road when you, when you quote, retire or start taking money out than they are today. It's just, I think, a fact of life. We can all say taxes are not gonna go back down. They're gonna right. go up. So is it better to pay tax on the acorn, that is the money down here versus the oak tree up here? Well, it makes more sense to pay it here and be done with it and have what I call unfettered money that you could put in anything. You could put in your business, your practice, real estate, or, you know, even stocks and bonds. I'm just not a fan of locking that money up where you you can't get to it. I I can't tell you how many people come to Freedom Founders where the majority of their wealth outside of their practice is in 401k-type vehicles. I mean, I'm talking about significant, you know, seven figures or more, and yet they're 42, 45, 49 years old. They're a decade or more from being able to access that money. Yet, if they had that money that they could actually put in viable investments today, where they could get the cash flow, they could cut back on their practice time immensely, if not even sell, but yeah. it's locked up. And, and I go, you know, we can help you self-direct that money, at least get it, you know, out of the stock market if you wish, but you still can't touch it till you're 59 and a half. And they just kind of drop their head and go, ah, oh, I wish I would have known. Yeah, I, I would. It's yeah. not for everybody, Kirk. I'm, I'm saying some people, if that's all they do um, and they make a regular contribution, then that's better than doing nothing at all. So I'm not trying to bash it, but I'm saying for people who really want to be on the forefront of their finances and their future freedom. I say it's better to keep that money close to the vest and use it appropriately for your, for your, for your means.
0: Yeah, I can already see. i going to have you back because there's so many avenues I want to ask you about because, uh, you know, because there is so much information about there. Can we go back? I want to go back to the rent on your facility and just ask yeah. you add some complexity to it. I probably shouldn't do that, but this is I get this all the time. So I'm so glad you're here. OK, so I'm actually going to buy my facility. I'm going to put out this cash but oh, by the way, I'm gonna buy the entire shell. I'm gonna buy, can you give, you know, some perspective on what the landlord market is? No, I'm gonna find another dentist who will rent out that space. I'm sure you've heard that, is they're gonna buy it all and then they're gonna rent out half of it. Do you usually see that work well? Do you see it not work well? Are there complexities we don't see? What are your thoughts?
1: Well, it, it is more complex. Um, because every again, every market's going to be different. So every geographic market is different, uh, and we are, you know, in, di- in different market cycles. Where you know, just because of COVID, we've seen, you know, a a a curtailment or you know, termination dissolution of a lot of I call it a lot of mom and pop businesses. You know, retail establishments. You know, didn't make it. Now, right. that doesn't mean that that we're going to have another COVID or pandemic. But now we've got this this you know, recession that we're looking at right now in front of us. Well, what's that going to do to, to other tenants that you've had? Now, I will say that when I was in practice, I did, I did own the whole shell. Um, It wasn't huge, but it was about 6,000 square feet. I used half of it for the dental practice, about 3,000 square feet. And I had, I had two tenants that worked well for me during those years. So here I'm saying though that worked well, but I sold that, I sold that building. I, I kept it after I sold the practice for about five years, because the the buyer of the practice couldn't take on both the the practice and the building at the same time financially, so he bought the practice. I kept the building for another five years. This was 2015-ish when I sold that, and I was glad to sell it because I could put my money, my investments, I feel like, in better places. Being a landlord is, is as you as you indicated, it's not all fun and joy. Uh, you know, there there are things that you just have to take care of, even if you have a quote unquote manager. And so, look. It, it, it depends on your personality it depends on the market it depends on where this building might be so i'm not saying you do it or you don't do it it's per- really got to be an assessment that somebody helps you look at scrutinize it from all the angles and then make a decision it could be a really good decision or it could be a really bad decision that's that's about the best i can give you without really specifics on it Kirk.
0: hey that's totally cool that's totally cool it's uh <clears throat> these are always conversations that come up. And, uh, you know, I, I like I said, I already know that there's going to be a lot of things I want to ask you about um, because we do get all these questions. And this is certainly not our area of expertise. I do want people to check out your podcast. I do want them. You've written not just one book. Can you tell us like about the books that you've written and and uh, where do I find this? Where do I learn more about what you're doing?
1: Well, you can always go to the website, which is freedomfounders.com com you mentioned the D- Dennis Freedom Blueprint podcast, which yeah, I, just like you I, I enjoy having smart people in different areas of expertise, whether it's the economy. we, t- we talk a little bit about practice there too sometimes although that's not my forte. Uh, and and then yeah the books are you can find on Amazon. I, I'm up to about four or five I think at this point. I, I love to write books and, and put content out there. the The first one I wrote was uh, called from High Income to High Net worth kind of speaking to professionals who, right. who can build up high incomes, but like, where, where's the net worth going and what's that going to create for you? So that's the first book I wrote. Uh, I wrote a, a book called The Apprentice Model. That's for, for young people. Uh, I've got a great heart for young people and trying to show them there are different pathways they can go from high school, college, where it might be um, in figuring out what their, their plan is without necessarily stacking up all the debt that comes with, 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 with degrees, you know, on end. I wrote a book called "What's Your Next?" for people who were in that phase of transition, maybe from practice to selling the practice, and saying, "Great, you know, I'm out now. Who am I? What's my purpose? How do I figure that out?" That's a. I find that 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 comes along um, with just about everybody who's been doing something in a career for multiple decades. I wrote a book with um, a mentor of mine, Dan Kennedy, uh, called "Own Your Freedom." We published that last fall. That's got a lot of. A lot of uh, tenets of financial money management. It's it's not all focused on real estate. There's a. Right. It, it's a really good book, and I and my my co-author I think really added a lot to that one, Dan Kennedy. And then my most recent book is uh, is is also behind me. On I've actually got it right here. It's uh it's Inflation: The Silent Retirement Killer. Uh, this one published in April. We started writing it a year ago. When I was seeing the fallout from all of the helicopter money that was being poured into, you know, the stimulus to offset the pandemic and all the closures in, in business and commerce, and uh, here we are today, uh, the Feds going hard as they can to try to beat down this inflation that, again, we haven't seen in 40 years. It's a it's right. a different time. Yeah. it's a different time.
0: It is a different time, David. I just really appreciate you showing up. Any last thoughts you have on you know some long term? clear financial perspective for our listeners?
1: I think it's a time where people can really sink back and say, you know, what what is the quality of life I'm looking for? We've been in such a long-term run with, you know, financial assets of all kinds of businesses and real estate and stocks. It just seems like there's just been this over, overwhelming amount of, of wealth creation for a certain class of people. And I know we have this big divide kind of talking to our our people who are you know out there with degrees, education and working hard to build it's i think it's time to go back to quality and say you know how can i get more freedom in my life doesn't mean you quit doing what you're doing but if you can really get a handle on your financial numbers and understand that that as long as you keep escalating your your lifestyle as fast as your income goes up you really never get free right and when i see people hit that number everything expands from there it doesn't mean you're you're putting a ceiling on what you can have or or have in your life. But if you get to that number quickly with investments replacing your lifestyle burn rate, it changes everything. And that's what I try to sow into, everybody I get to talk to, especially young people who are starting out, because again, I think they look ahead and go, oh, I should be doing this and this by this age and have this kind of a house. It's like, stop that. You're gonna be a lot freer a lot sooner if you just change that model a little bit. And it's not hard, just get get both, both parties on the same page. It'll work.
0: Yeah, very well said. So David, I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. Um, uh, Stick around while we say goodbye to everybody else on the podcast, but thank you guys for listening. I want you to check out David's stuff. It's really, really good. He's got a great podcast. You can also do a few of his downloads. You can see his books. Now, if you're not taking notes, don't worry, we're taking notes for you. So you can flip up to the show notes, uh, wherever you consume podcasts at, and all the links will be in there that David and I discuss. You can click on them. We'll take you right there. and I encourage you guys to check it out so if you guys enjoyed the episode do us a favor just share this with your friends keep sending us suggestions for things you guys want to see i'm lining them up now and then uh we're even gonna have david back and you if you have some thoughts like ask david this i'll get him back and we'll ask him the questions uh and get the answer straight from the expert but uh, until we see you guys next time or you hear from us next time keep watching or keep listening to the best practices show you guys enjoy your day